All right, guys, welcome back to the Buck Fever podcast. We've got a full house tonight. The whole gang is here, and uh, we are already kind of deep in conversation. So we uh, we just started recording, and we're going to let her fly. But we want to hear the full story on Eli's buck, uh, his archery buck from Wisconsin that he shot this year. Um, and then we're going to kind of segue that into some learning lessons that we had from the rut. Um, but it's been a little while now and we haven't gotten the full story. So Eli, um, well, first of all, welcome back. It's been a couple of weeks since you've been on, but, um, yeah, the floor is yours. Yeah. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's right. We've missed you. <laughs> that's, that's not how it worked in my house this fall, but <laughs> at least somebody <laughs> missed me. <laughs> Uh, yeah so i'm looking for for a recap yeah let's hear it man it seemed like it was where where to begin i mean honestly this would be the shortest buck fever podcast of all time i simply give a recap of of the buck that that i killed um I mean, if if anyone's seen the video, you can literally see the, I don't know, 10 seconds of footage that I got of him before I, before I shot him. And I had about maybe 10, 15 seconds before I hit the record button. So, um, <clears throat> I guess I think the best way to do it is to, is to just back up a little bit and, probably give a brief overview recap of the the beginning of the season uh, and then eventually here we'll we'll move into that to that hunt so um, we had oh, what was it pat we probably had like four for sure four other bucks that were ahead of ahead of bullwinkle on our hit list but we had decided that he was a a four a four year old just based on past um, past tracks and, and body size. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he was he was definitely one that you know when as we were in the summer we had we had highlighted him and and, and put him on the list um, and as we kind of got closer to the season and velvet shed i think both of us had kind of decided that yeah you know if he's if he comes in front of us he's certainly one we're going to consider but maybe we should let him go another year and just see what he what he turns into with the conversation because um, we had probably four other bucks that were def- definitely four or older that were were ahead of him plus the buck called that we were calling double d uh, which you pack got a shot at, uh, but we're, you know, pretty sure that was a three-year-old. So we had started the season off, um, and I actually had an encounter with that deer. I believe it was the second weekend, and it was I was trying to get a repeat of the cornfield ambush uh, from the year before. So um, <clears throat> it's all strip farming down where we hunt. And the crops had rotated, so 
I was actually sitting probably about five yards, ten yards away from my where I had um, where I had killed my buck the the year before, and that made it a little bit tricky because in order to be able to sit in that, you needed a a south or southeast wind in order to be able to hunt that. So that I make mean, you know, you get quite a few south winds, but a southwest wouldn't have worked there. Um, so second weekend we actually had southeast wind. That's where I sat, and I had an encounter with that buck, and I have no idea what happened with it. The best that we could come up with was the the neighbor was hunting because he owns the woods that runs right along the edge of that field. Um, and he was hunting and his wind blew out the field. Like that's the only thing we could come up with is we watched the footage back and the steer was relaxed as can be head down eating. And then all of a sudden the head just popped up and he was gone. Um, so we had a brief encounter with him and, you know, honestly that, was my only encounter with a shooter uh, up until I believe it was the, was uh, Halloween weekend, and the second encounter I had with a shooter was about you know a second long, and I saw one that was chasing a doe probably I don't know 75 yards down the hill from where I was sitting, and I was sitting in the same stand that I actually killed this buck out of. So. Like like I said, it's going to be a short episode because I did not have uh, I did not have a great year for encounters with with our with our hit listers, and it's just one of those things where I think over the last couple of seasons I had just been a little bit spoiled or um, had been making you know better decisions about stand locations mixed with a little bit of luck and. For me, this whole season was like a grind um, just because I had not really seen that much. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I had We had the, the awesome buck that Ty had killed um, during the youth season, so I guess I, I forgot to include that one. But as far as me hunting and bow hunting, I I only had the, the two encounters prior to when I, when I killed this one. Um, so anyways... We'll kind of get into where things were at, my mental state, and, and all that. Um, anytime you want to interrupt me and ask a question, go for it. So otherwise, I'm just I'm winging her here. But um, <laughs> like I don't know, Pat can attest to this. It, it it was a rough season for me on multiple levels, and of course, it's going to all add up, right? Not really having the encounters. I saw plenty of deer, just none none of the shooters um my my wife was really fed up with hunting this season for some reason um, i don't feel like i really did anything more um if anything i sort of felt like i had done less than i had in the past but yeah it just for whatever reason um, maybe i didn't communicate well enough or whatever it was but there was there was certainly a, a level of tension that that was there, um, and like I said, it been it had just been an absolute grind. So we were hunting that weekend, and Pat and I 
had talked about it, and we still had our Minnesota tags. So that's always a debate. You go out of state, you pay this money for a license. Um, or if you don't shoot one, are you going to just be willing to burn a hundred and eighty? eight dollars after you get the two dollar and fifty cent doe tag um, are you just going to let that go to the wind so that you can go bow hunt or are you going to go back over there and, and try to fill that tag well it made it easier because pat had shot that that buck in minnesota so uh, we both would rather bow hunt and we decided we're gonna we're gonna hunt wisconsin um, i think i had off of work on that friday and basically had hunted all day on Friday, did not have a ton of activity. And at about, oh, I think it must have been 3.45 p.m., I get a text from my wife. And she says, uh, your, your daughter is sick. She has 102-degree fever. And I knew that my daughter was sick. But... What I did not know was that uh, my oldest stepson, Wade, his his football banquet was scheduled for that Friday night. And uh, my wife's family was coming into town, so she didn't want to have my sick daughter go over there and have all of them get sick. And um, basically, I just said, you know what? If, if you want me to come home, I will come home and watch her so that you can go to the banquet with Wade. And I guess long story short, um, and and to keep the, the details out of it, she basically gave me the do whatever you want with an undertone of you better freaking come home. <laughs> so there I am, you know, an hour and half before dark and by the time we're done exchanging messages it's like the last hour prime time conditions were really good we had a cold front that was that had blown in and here i go walking out of the woods at four probably four thirty uh, so that's kind of how the, the whole weekend started the next morning, which was Saturday, we were we were talking strategy, and uh, I actually had gone and sat in a area we call the Corner Woods. I was sitting in the stand where Pat killed his buck last year, and it's just a big transition zone. Uh, it's a thin strip of woods that connects two really big valleys um, and and sort of a ridge system. Um, and on either side of it, there's ag fields. So the best way for deer to transition through that is to stay in the woods and, and cut through this area. Um, there had been a ton of buck activity. I think it was Halloween weekend, Pat, when you had that, that awesome sit there where you got to hear um, yep. the, that buck snort wheeze and almost square off with another one and I don't know how many bucks we saw that morning but it's just an area that's always loaded with sign and it can be good at any time so I decided I was going to go back and in, into there and and sit there and just basically hunker down all day well 
when I walked in there in the morning, uh, because it butts up with the with the neighbor, um, when I was walking in, his Ranger was parked like right in the middle of this road that goes between the two fields, and that's right where the deer all work through to go back and forth. So essentially I was sort of cut off from anything that was coming from my Southwest. And I was sort of then having to bank on all of the deer coming from the Northeast or straight South. So mentally after, I don't know how many all day sits in a row it was between archery in Wisconsin and then Minnesota because those were all grinders and then the day before with the exception of the last hour um, it just kind of had my confidence in that spot low for the day so I sat there for maybe the first hour and a half and I'm a pretty firm believer of if you don't have confidence in the spot it's going to be nearly impossible to be able to stay in there all day like i probably would have if i'd have stayed in there i would have made it till 10 30 11 o'clock and had i not seen anything been like oh, what are you doing so i just decided it was probably eight o'clock maybe eight fifteen. I, I decided i'm just going to make a move so yeah, and I'll, and, and I'll I'll jump in here too. Like uh, I had been sitting, um, I guess a couple hundred yards away, but down a different ridge system. And we've done this before, where usually our, our roles have been reversed, where you've been in this set um, that we call junction, and you've had a lot of action while I've sat in the corner woods and been zeroed and um, end up moving towards you. And that's just kind of how it was. I had been sitting Thursday and Friday and had encountered, I believe, back-to-back days, right? With a, or no, yep. Friday, Friday. Yeah, um, back-to-back. Had encountered two days in a row with a shooter <clears throat> um, working up towards the point, and, and we had gone and made a move um, Friday in the middle of the day when the wind picked up, and I think we had talked about this before, but, <clears throat> you know, put a hung a mobile set out towards the point and and here it is uh saturday morning then and within the first couple hours again i had seen what three different bucks or four different bucks at that point yeah. and and you hadn't seen anything so you had we had been communicating back and forth if you should move to this you know basically just over the ridge for me and down into the next little half valley um to that girl's hollow bench stand and i said yeah absolutely get over here the wind's good for you to sneak in there and it's not gonna mess things up for me you should be able to get in there quiet and and i don't exactly remember what time it is it had to have been about 9 nine thirty, and you decided to make that move and and come on over <clears throat> yep and and typically when we're in that situation like like you said roles have been reversed but things have just been on fire for me and that wasn't necessarily the case that it was on fire. Like you had seen a couple of good deer, but it wasn't like you were seeing a ton of a ton of deer. Um, I mean, that well, morning not, was pretty good. Yeah, it's. The, I was seeing some deer, but there, it's not like there was a a known hot doe in the area that 
had all kinds of bucks running in and running out. These bucks, you know, were making their way in and and on the hoof, you know, moving around, but they there was no hot dough in the area. Like it's not like this ridge was exploding with activity where we've had that, you know, scenario in the past where you've been sitting there and things are just absolutely on fire and it's like this is the place to be right now. You need to get over here. Um but at least the action was better and we knew some deer were on their feet. Yeah. And the two previous days, your encounters with shooters, both of them were with a with a doe, correct? Correct, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, like, November 11th, it was, I would say, 100% like lockdown because we didn't really see much, much for cruisers outside of that morning. You saw a couple. So with that information, um, the spot that I was sitting is better when deer are just out on the hunt. And, you know, at any point during the rut, a buck can break off of a doe, and there was certainly a chance that something was going to come through there. But it's not necessarily right next to any bedding in the corner woods, whereas this other spot, the gross bench, is directly in between two bedding areas um, between two different ridge points that um, that that we know deer bed on like almost on a daily basis so um, that just seemed like the more logical option and then you know you pair that with the wind not that I had bad wind in the corner woods because it was actually dead calm right away that morning um, but the wind was was sort of out of the out of the south and honestly wind really doesn't even matter that much in the in that set that i went to it's mostly a thermal a thermal pull um, but any wind out of the south is going to kind of curl around the one point and paired with the thermal suck all my scent right up the right up the ditch uh, where the only spot you're going to get busted is if a deer crosses that ditch um you know up up above and those typically aren't deer that you're gonna have a chance to shoot out of that stand anyway so um it just kind of it kind of set up well i was going to get to enter from the top which we typically don't do and i took a long time i mean distance traveled as a crow flies from the stand i was originally set in to the grouse bench is maybe 400 yards I would say, um, and it took me about an hour and a half to make that to make that walk. Like I was just taking two to three steps at a time once I got into that woods, and I would stop for thirty seconds, forty-five seconds, and just scan ahead of me. Get the binoculars up, be looking down. There's a bunch of uh, ash trees and the ash borer has infected them so there's a ton of like down trees and those deer just like to kind of tuck themselves into those and bed so i was just creeping in there um trying not yeah, to take anything I'm gonna, and I, yeah let me interject here i was going to ask you about that um like if you and anybody else can chime in here too like if you guys make a, a midday switch like this do you typically um just kind of barge in there and, and 
switch trees and get into your new set like as fast as you can um so that you can let everything settle down and resettle down and and then you're you know if you're in there as quick as possible or are you taking this approach where you are um going super slow and trying to sneak in there and, and not bust anything out and uh go more on the sneak like what's your guys approach when you make a midday switch like that Oh, I'm definitely not taking that long to get in there. I, uh, I'm going to get in there as quick as I can and get set up and let, let it settle down. Um, I know my dad's kind of the opposite. He said he always goes slow, but I, I don't know. I just have a different approach on it. I like to get in there and at least during the rut, I think that if I've had it a lot of times where if they hear that kind of noise, I've had bucks come right to the stand, you know, thinking you're another deer and whatnot. So I use that as my excuse why I go so fast when I get in there. But, um, yeah, I'm, I give you credit for being that patient and taking, you know, two or three steps at a time and then waiting because I couldn't do that. Yeah, that's not really my approach either. I, I mean, you know, if there's two or three of us out on the property any given day, we pretty much have eyes on just about the whole thing. And, you know, I'm surprised every now and then, but for the most part, if I've been sitting for any amount of time, I pretty much know where deer are going to be at on the property. So I, I tend to just, if I'm going to move, like there's a good reason for it. Like Eli said, um, you know, so I'm, I'm just gonna get down, move and not really worry too much all about that, you know, bumping deer or whatever, just go and get set up. But I think that's more about the property that I hunt maybe, you know, has more to do with it than anything else. Yeah. And I mean, I can see that side of it too. Um, I think it would have depended on where I was going, how I, how I entered it. And just knowing that the area I was going into was there's, a strong possibility that a deer could have been bedded, you know, very close to the route that I was on with all those down trees and your vision's not great. It's pretty thick. Um, and paired with the fact that in 2021, when I had told Pat that it was on fire, um, he took a little different route. We did not have the stand hung uh, but there was an old stand that was sort of in the same area as as where we hung this one. Um, and I think what what happened to you, correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, but you were you were creeping in there, creeping in there, creeping in there, and you're like 10 yards from the tree and sort of felt like, all right, no, I haven't kicked anything up. I'm just going to get to the tree and get up it. And in that last 10 yards, you kicked up a giant that was with a doe and because you got a little careless and like stepped on a stick and made a crack or something along those lines yeah it was essentially like that i i had creeped my way all the way in there and i i was probably within 35 40 yards of this giant with the doe and um not really got lazy but just uh my focus turned i i felt like i had made it close to the stand and and hadn't spooked anything yet and my focus actually 
uh, turned to the tree stand. Like you guys said, it wasn't a stand that we had hung, and it was an old set that had been in there for a while. And I'm looking at the seat cushion that had been torn apart by squirrels, and it, you know, was essentially just a white cushion sitting up there now with all of the covering off. And my mind turned more to, uh, do I want to actually sit in this hunk of shit um, instead of keeping a keen sense of my surroundings and, and then again i took like one more step cracked a stick and then 35 yards away or 30 yards away up jumped uh i don't know 170 incher with a doe <laughs> yeah so, so um, yeah that was the other factor that i had in my head is like we we had kind of made this move before and yeah. I, you know people that listen have probably heard heard me say it before like the the best way to become a better hunter is to make mistakes but the only way you become better is if you actually learn from those mistakes and don't make them again, you know? Right. That was in my head too. So just based on history, based on the time of day, knowing that it was a bedding area, um, knowing that something like this has happened before and, and a big one's been kicked out of there. That's why I decided to take the approach that I took. And I actually had my, my grunt tube um, and three or four different times in that hour and a half on my way down there, I, I would grunt and I would kick a couple of leaves um, on the trail and then just stop and stand because I was just in my head, I'm thinking, all right, if there is one bedded in here that isn't with a doe, if I'm acting like a deer, there's a chance that he'll get up and come investigate. I knew that I had the wind in my favor because it was blowing into my face. And I knew that the area that I had already walked through, there was not a bedded deer. So, you know, that was sort of my, my thought process with it. Um, but, and you've done similar things, correct me if I'm wrong, in the past, especially on days that it's been a little bit more quiet. Um, and this could just be flat out walking into your tree stand, not necessarily switching stands in the middle of the day, but the same concept applies. But I, I believe you've walked in using just like a, even a turkey mouth call, right? Yep. Yep. If I'm walking in and like I've intentionally walked in before and when I use a turkey call, I usually walk a little bit faster, but I've used that turkey call as a just cover noise for the leaves that I'm make and rustle around um, almost just keep deer bedded and keep them at ease rather than having them get up and come investigate what I am you know um, so I don't know there's a there's a few different strategies I did not have a turkey call with me on November 11th so that's why I did not try to use that strategy but you know I I think anytime you can impersonate, well, or try to replicate deer activity, uh, it, it makes it better for you uh, as far as not being able, not kicking stuff out of the out of the area that you're walking into. So, anyways, <clears throat> none of the things that I had in my head happened. You know, I didn't have a deer approach me as I was walking in because it was curious. Um, I didn't, to my knowledge kick anything out of there it was so quiet that day that i'm sure i would have heard it if i did and i ended up getting to my tree and getting reset right around 10 o'clock 
probably 10:30 by the time I had all the camera gear, you know, set up and and ready to go. Um, and like I said before, my confidence right away in the morning was sort of shot because I had seen the ranger and then I got into that stand, um, you know, usually at 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock time, at least on this property historically has been just phenomenal, um, for catching deer up on their feet and cruising. And I didn't see a thing or hear anything other than a whole bunch of squirrels, like, they were they were fired up and ready to go that day. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and you know Pat and I are texting back and forth and I think it was right about when I got set I I looked and and I got a text from Pat saying oh, I just missed double D. So I'm like oh dang it you know that that's too bad um, and I'm asking you know which way did it go and double D had gone back out to, towards the point. Pat was sitting just over the top of the ridge. Like, I don't know. We were probably only like 75 yards apart as a crow flies, but probably had a hundred feet of elevation change or so between us. I'd have to look at the map. Yeah, for sure. maybe more, maybe 200 feet of elevation, probably a hundred, 125 yards, I would say by the crow flies. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, at least that kind of had me a little bit optimistic that he's with the doe and out on this point and they might end up working down or something else might happen. Um, so anyways, we get, it gets to be right around one o'clock and neither of us really seen much for a while. Uh, and I finally get a, I get a text from Pat and I think you had seen a smaller buck that just worked through. And you were letting me know that. Um, and we're going back and forth. And I think I sent you a text saying, like, oh, I'm still riding the skunk train for the day at 110. Um, yeah. And at that point, I was actually debating getting out of that tree and sneaking up over the ridge into the stand we called Junction where Pat had been sitting the previous two days uh, before we hung that um, mobile set. Just because he had been seeing deer, I hadn't seen squat. I was suffering from the grind of the rut and all these all day sits and I was starting to get pretty darn antsy. Um, which I shouldn't have been because that Halloween weekend, which I think was the only other time I sat that stand, um, and I sat it all day, I had a buck cruise through at 1230, um, you know, and read the script, just wasn't the right deer. Um, but regardless, mentally, I was starting to get antsy, and I hit send, and I started typing, I think I'm going to make the move to junction and was going to try to get Pat's feedback on whether or not that was a good idea. I didn't want to screw things up for him. I felt like I could probably do it safely. Um, but as I was starting to type that, I heard some noise, uh, 
to my to my right. And and this tree stand, like I said, it's between two points, but halfway down, um, just below where we have the stand hung, is an old sort of overgrown logging road that connects these, you know, two bedding areas. And it's a flat spot. We've found deer beds on it. There's always rubs on it. There's always this, like a, a, a few scrapes and stuff on it. And it's just an easy travel route for, for deer to take if they are cruising. And I heard noise to my right. Well, it's all cedars over there. And I had heard, I don't know, in reality, probably a dozen squirrels, but it felt like about 3,000 of them. And I'm like, oh, just another squirrel. And I listened a little bit closer, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I'm sitting there looking and looking and looking, and finally I see horns through a little gap between all these cedar trees. And I'm like, oh, boy, I am not ready at all for this. <laughs> so the first thing I did is I grabbed my bow. Well, because of how the stand is set up, I had the camera on my left-hand side. And, of course, the um, whatever, the screen flips open to the left of the camera, so it's on the opposite side of the camera for me, and I can't see the screen at all. Um, so I had my bow in my hand, and then I'm like, oh, shoot, i got to get this camera turned on. So I end up grabbing my cables and my string with my right hand and just holding it, using my uncoordinated left hand to flip the, the screen open. I hit the record button, turn the camera to where I think that this deer is going to be in the frame, and put my finger on the zoom button and just held it down for like a second to try to get it zoomed in. But I couldn't see any of it. Put my bow back in my left hand, get my release clipped on, and at this point, that buck is about right where I want to shoot him. I draw back, and as I get drawn, I'm like, shit. He just made it past my shooting lane. So I let down. I have a single pin sight, and the next shooting lane that he was going to go through is going to be a 30, roughly 30-yard 30 lane. It's anywhere from 30 to 35, depending on where in that lane the deer are. So I adjust, my, I adjust my sight to 30, get my release back on, and I look, and this buck is almost all the way through that second lane. And I don't usually like to stop him if I'm not drawn back, but the only prayer I had at shooting this deer was to stop him. So I gave him a bath, and he stopped. I had no idea what was going on. I drew back, settled in on him, squeezed it off and the arrow was flying and when i let it go i'm like oh that's a perfect shot and then right at the last second i see the arrow make a hard jog to the right and hit him in the hit him in the butt and i'm going oh bleep what just happened I'm watching yeah. him run off, and I can immediately see blood 
pouring out of his his butt. And I'm like, okay, I might have just gotten lucky and hit the femoral artery. So that happens. He runs off. I watch for a second. Can't see him anymore. Grab my phone, send Pat a text saying, I just shot B-Wink. And that was at 1.12 p.m. So within two minutes of when I had just said, still riding the skunk train, I sent another text in, just shot B-Wink. The the craziest set of text messages I think I've ever received, like, from a hunting buddy, like, you know, 110 I received, I'm still riding the skunk train, and then 112, it was like, B-Wink down. And, like, I understand what B-Wink means. It means bullwinkle, but I'm looking at my phone, and, like, I'm just bewildered. Like, I don't even comprehend what the text means. Like, B-Wink down, I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about, B-Wink down? And then, like, after staring at it for, like, 15 seconds, I'm like, holy crap, he just shot Bullwinkle. Like, but he just texted me he was skunked, like, two minutes ago. Like, this is insane. Like, this is the rut in a nutshell, right? Like, I hate the rut. I'm on the skunk train. This freaking sucks. I could tell, like, you know, I've been there. I had been there in other points in the season where, like, the other guy's seeing deer and you're just not seeing anything. I knew it was wearing on him. And then, like, boom, deer down less than two minutes later. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yep. It was, it was crazy. And I guess like I, I did make, I did make a good shot, but then everything happened so fast that, you know, you don't see the little twig that's like, half the width of your pinky finger hanging down when you're when you're letting that arrow go especially when things happen so fast Um, well especially in your situation when not only things happen fast but you your attention has now been on other things like moving the camera letting down readjusting your pin like you're not you're not now no longer aware of like checking all these little branches and you know your just focus isn't 100 percent on where it needs to to go by no, yeah. by no fault of your own, just by default of all the things that were going on. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the other thing that I hate about the rut. Like, your shots happen, oftentimes happen so fast versus, like, early season when it's natural movement. And you can usually just wait for a deer to stop naturally and be able to take a shot on them, you know, like, I mean, that whole thing happened in a span of 35 seconds, maybe 40 seconds from the time I heard the thing, flipped the camera on and let my arrow go. And in the middle of it, you're trying to Get your release flipped on. Get a camera flipped open. Hit record. Get zoomed in. Get the deer in the frame. Have to let down. Have to adjust a pin. Have to get a deer stopped. Have to get your release clip back on. Redraw. Settle in. Make a shot. Like that is a lot of stuff going on in a very short period of time. So, um, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. But like I said, you know, 
in an ideal situation, that's not the shot that you're looking for. Um, and I think that that's probably why there's a lot more wounded deer come end of October, November, uh, versus like early, early season, as far as archery hunting goes, because it's hard. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And you just, you can't underestimate. And for those that have never done it, like, or, or critique somebody that, Oh, how come you didn't have the deer in frame? Like what the heck kind of video was that or whatever? Like self filming is like ridiculously hard, like ridiculously hard. I mean, you take your scenario alone. If you had a cameraman, you shoot that deer at 20 yards broadside when he steps out into the first lane because you don't care about a camera whatsoever and the guy above you or behind you, boom, he's got it. It's in frame. He's got everything. And all you're focused on is a shot, and you would have got him broadside at 20 yards in his first lane. Yep. This is the scenario that unfolded. Like film, self-filming is you can't even explain how difficult it is to, to encapture everything that's going on and then still get off a shot, execute a shot and everything else that goes with it. Uh, all while maintaining your nerves and, and buck fever and whatnot. So yeah, um, it's hard. Yeah. The one thing I will say with the camera though is like it does give you something else to focus on rather than your nerves. So there's the negative of that is you're not 100% focused on the execution. The positive of it is it does keep any buck fever that you might get under control because, like, you can't be sitting there thinking about, like, holy cow, this is a huge deer, this is a huge deer as you're trying to film the thing. So... Like, I guess there's two sides to it, but I would say overall, definitely easier not not trying to run your own camera um, that's set up on the wrong side of your body during a, <laughs> during a rut hunt. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, like, you can watch the video, you can see as I'm talking about it, uh, and you can hear this deer crash. And when I heard that, it was like a sense of relief. Because when I saw him run away, like I said, I saw blood coming out. But you don't know. Like, it could have been a muscle hit that is just bleeding because it's right there next to the skin. Like, you don't really know how much blood is coming out. It's not like, it wasn't like a, you know, double lung where you can see it shoot out of the deer. You could just see it, like, pool up on his butt real quick as he as he ran off so to hear him crash was a sense of relief because i've been there before where i've where i've lost some deer um on shots that were a hell of a lot better than that one you know um i just ended up getting lucky has anyone else ever any of you guys ever hit a deer in the femoral artery before i mean it is a you, we've seen enough TV shows and, and different things going. Like, it is an absolutely deadly shot. It's obviously not somewhere you want to aspire to hit, but it, deer expire extremely fast. I have never. I have a buddy who hit one or killed one like that, but I've never been a part of shooting one. Yeah, no, me neither, but I would imagine that it would probably spray 
quite a bit. I mean, if you guys recall, we had Sam Ubel on from Chase Nation um, yep. earlier in the year, and the deer that we had talked about a lot, one of his early season kills, that was one of the, the fastest um, videos I've ever seen from shot taken to deer, you know, flat on its side, dead, and it was a femoral artery hit um, by accident, of course, but um, just crazy how fast that, hit can make deer expire um obviously you would never aim for it because there's <laughs> so much that you can hit back there that's going to be non-fatal but um yeah it's crazy how deadly it can be yeah when i was sharing the the video i had sent it to to nick brenner and you know most people don't talk about oh the more i i hit the femoral artery i think you know like i'm fine with sharing that and fine with saying like I got lucky on this one that like, it was a good shot until it hit the branch and it wasn't. Uh, but that's what Brenner had told me too. It was, he said, same thing happened to him on his buck that he killed this year. Like hit a, hit a branch. He didn't see, and it ended up deflecting and hitting the deer back and he caught the femoral artery and the thing was down. Hmm. So, but you don't hear people talk about that stuff a whole lot. Like, a lot of people don't like to talk about the ones that did not go as planned because, you know, to be honest, there's a, there's a stigma out there and the, um, you know, there's a lot of judgment that is, that is passed by other hunters, um, on people that don't make a good clean kill. And that was a good clean kill, but that's not where you wanted to hit them. Right. Yeah. Cause it could have ended up, differently obviously and there's obviously a lot of people out there that will be keyboard warriors and you know say their minds on social media and whatever but um you know if they've hunted long enough they've probably done a similar thing or had something like that happen to them they're just not putting it all out over social media and so when you film your hunts and you put that stuff out there you know like the one that i hit this year we never found i mean that's it's part of it like you kind of sign up to be public about some of these things the good and the bad and you know hopefully that by sharing some of those things openly like we have and you know without shame like you know yeah that's what happens it's it's all right hopefully that will uh serve some small purpose and trying to turn that around a little bit but yeah i mean it sounds like it ended up working out just fine for you yeah it did did so i i guess my other takeaway from it is and you know like like i it's almost a it's almost a joke that i hate to run but it to to some extent i do like it is a grind but my other takeaway from it is it has to be a grind because look at that situation 110 skunked 112 buck down you know like had i given up and there was not one point where it crossed my mind to stop hunting for the day but i was seriously second guessing my stand choice and boom just like that everything everything can change so that is the beauty of it and it's also the beast of it because 
when you're getting up day after day after day at 4 a.m. and getting out into your tree and getting everything set up and like we intentionally were really early this year like I don't think we had a rut hunt where we were not set up with an hour plus to go before daylight was going to break like that's a long day if you think about it like being in a tree by 5 a.m and then hunting till one that's an eight that's already an eight hour day yeah like i had already put in an eight hour shift into that day without seeing a deer so mentally it's just so hard but you have to stick it out and whether you're staying in the same spot or going to make some sort of a strategic move, um, you, you just, the only way to get them down at that time of the year is to stay mentally strong and grind it out. For sure. Yeah, I think that's the worst thing about the rut. And, you know, we can go back and forth on this. And, you know, next year we could both, all of us could tag out November and the rut's the best thing ever. And, you know, we'll have different opinions, but I just, so much of the rut just comes down. It is just a grind both mentally and physically. And it's just all about, it ends up being this game of just time on stand. And the more time you put on stand, the greater odds are that something's going to happen. But it is hard. Um, Like you said, the getting up early, the long, long sits, um, going through these huge spans of not seeing anything, um, boy, it just wears on you mentally and, and physically too. It's cold. Um, you're getting up early, lack of sleep, long hikes in, a lot of times older, you're, yeah, you got, you got kids, you got family. Uh, we're not, we're not young bucks anymore. Uh, still young enough, but you know, it still wears on you. You're, you're putting on four, five, six layers. You're carrying a heavy backpack. Like there's just so much that goes into it that, that can wear a guy down. But uh, it's all about those next five minutes can make your season, and it certainly did for you. Yeah, I mean, you talk yeah. about hours on stand though too, and when it comes to the rut, I feel like a lot of that translates into luck. So you're sitting there, and you know, not that. You don't have a game plan going into it, but with the rut, their movements are just so sporadic and unpredictable. It's like you can log an all-day sit, and you're banking on essentially getting lucky. Whereas you take an all-day sit, you know, or, or however many hours on stand in the early season or in October or whatever, and that has a lot more to do. Certainly, still plenty of luck involved, but a lot more of that is going to be on. Have I done my homework? Am I in the right spot? Do I know the property? Have I put the time in in the off season? Like, it's a little bit more about okay, these are predictable movements. I have trail camera data to back it up. I have years of experience hunting this property, and I know that you know this spot is good during this time of year. So it feels a little bit more like those hours are spent with you in the driver's seat. You're a little bit more in control, whereas the rut is like you're just at the mercy of the deer, whatever they're up to. That's all on you. You could be in the best spot in the entire County 
And if the deer don't feel like moving there, then it's not the best spot in the county, you know, and it's, it's just totally on them. And I think that's part of the frustration there too. It's like, there's, there's nothing you can do. You're either going to see deer or you're not. And it's not really much you can do about it. Yeah. Well, I think honestly, I think Noah, like that's a, that's a good point. And it, it brings me in another lesson that I learned throughout throughout this season i used to be a strong advocate of you can't pattern a deer during the rut and i still believe that you can't pattern a specific deer during the rut but you can pattern you can pattern deer during the rut like i mean that's how pat got a shot at double d this year like he had sat in that area he had seen multiple different deer doing the same or very similar things and then we had gone in midday the day before to hang that set because we knew it was going to be quiet the next day and had like that was another one with the camera like you don't know for sure that that's what happened but had you not been filming that doe may have just walked right past you and brought that buck on a string for a 20-yard shot you know but that was because you had patterned not a deer but the the deer herd basically yeah the, the, the pattern of consistent deer movement on the same mm-hmm. trail and that yeah. trail was out of out of my range and instead of okay two days in a row a whole bunch of deer or cons- not a whole bunch but like a good handful of deer and bucks especially keep taking the exact same trail up to this point it's gonna do me no good to come back in here for a third day and sit 85 to 90 yards away from it and just watch more bucks come up that trail. Like we need to make an aggressive move and get a set close to that trail. Um, and that's what we did. And, and I was just off by just a hair or, you know, like you said, if things had worked out with that doe, she would have brought them by it <laughs> inside of 20 yards, probably more like 12 yards. But, um, yeah, I think that's one of my big lessons learned, uh, this rut season is is just our setups especially like i feel like we have even though we did not kill an early season buck this year i feel like a lot of our setups are extremely dynamite for early season um we've got some great stands on on access getting in um in some really good spots um but i think some of our rut sets and we've had a lot of conversations about this um, on our on our own side are not aggressive enough we need to have her dial in our rut sets a little bit more and and not be afraid to be super aggressive and get right out on these points where deer bed um or you know your your set where you killed was one of our more of aggressive rut sets and sure enough you know it pays off um but we got to get some more sets that are pushed in and not be afraid to dive into these more intrusive bedding points um, or trails leading immediately in or out of those those bedding points especially um, a lot of our stands are set back they're great early season but we need to be more aggressive or not be afraid to be more aggressive when it comes to the rut especially so that would be one of my biggest lessons uh learned that and changes that we need to make looking at 2024. So on on patterning them in the rut though, would you say that it's a much a much smaller window 
of a pattern in the rut versus other times of year. Because I feel like you can pattern a deer in the early season and he's going to stay in, or, or the deer herd, and they'll stay in that pattern for a while. Whereas in the rut, you can maybe pattern them, but it's like a two, three, four day pattern, and then it's going to change. Would you guys kind of agree yeah, with that? Good, that's yep. an excellent point, um, and that's exactly how I would approach it. Like early season, like, yeah, you'll be able to dial them into that pattern, and they might stay in that pattern for a good week or two, and you can like slowly methodically start like, if you are going to be mobile, like just work your way a little closer. Okay, I still got to work a little bit closer yet. Work your way a little closer. The rut, one or two days with them doing the same thing, like boom, move in on that spot right now. Um, be super aggressive. And that's what, like I said, that's what we, that's one of the lessons we learned and we got to be more proactive with. If you see that thing happen consistently, even on the same day with multiple bucks, boom, you should be there the next day. And if you see it two days in a row, definitely like now get in there, get in that spot, be mobile, um, and capitalize on that. You can't wait a week. Right. When it comes to the run, you got to You got to get on it right now. So that's a great yeah. point. You're, you're trying yeah. to talk. Oh, and just like where you were, like this is a, I mean, it's so obvious now, but like Pat, you and I had multiple conversations about junction and that has been a great set over the years. We have killed great bucks out of it. And there are times where like that is, that, that stand is the place to be, but we should have had a set hung sort of in the area that you end up going to just based on what we've seen historically. Like, cause there've been plenty of times in that stand where we, where we see good bucks, but they're not like in range to shoot. And they're sort of doing something similar to what, you know, I wasn't there watching, but they're doing similar things to what you just described. And we had talked about it earlier in the season. Like, we should have a second stand there that is further down. They're not using they're not using that main junction trail quite how they used to be, you know, for whatever reason. If it's down trees or, you know, whatever the change is. Um, but we had talked about getting a set hung in there. I think probably even before the season. And then as the season went on, it's like, oh man, we really should have another one in there. And even some of those mornings before you had seen that action, it was like, oh, maybe we should carry our climber in or carry the XOP in and, and, and set up, you know, 50 yards further out towards this, this ridge than where that stand is. But we didn't until, once again, Pat, you saw the movement, and then we made the move, and it, and it like, almost almost paid off. So, like... I think if you see one deer do something, that's not enough reason to make a move. But when you start seeing two or three in particular bucks doing the same thing, like in the rut, get out of your tree. Don't just be content with seeing them 7,500 yards away. Get out of your tree and go be aggressive and, and put yourself in the ballgame. Yeah, it almost goes to that. May, that reminds me of a, of a saying we have when it comes to walleye fishing. When you're like trolling crankbaits and, or uh, you're walleye fishing and, and you get bit on a certain bait, like 
the first time it's lucky, the second time it's a theory, and then the third time it's a pattern, and you better be switching yeah. multiple baits to that same thing. So kind of the same deal here when it comes to deer hunting. Like, okay, you saw one deer take that trail. Yeah, lucky shot. Second deer, all right, that's starting to be a theory. Like, maybe that's the, the trail they're using. A third buck using the same trail. Like, okay, that's a pattern. You need to, like, get over there now. Yeah. Even if you don't have a stand, go figure out a way to tuck in on the ground so that you can hunt that trail. Yeah, yeah, man, that's all good stuff. And I want to wrap it up, but before that, I want to get Jake's take on all that because I know if anybody's not afraid to get a little bit aggressive at times, it'll be Jake. So what's uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on all that, buddy? You know, I'd agree with the whole patterning thing, especially during the rut. You know, obviously it's, it's got to happen more than once for me to really be like, well, I should probably go there. Um, I, I think over the last few years hunting multiple days during the rut that what I've learned that there is one good day during the rut. Um, it's different every year, but <clears throat> there's one day where it is just electric and you're going to see a lot of deer, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of deer, a lot of bucks. And, uh, that's it. Otherwise the rut's pretty mild in my opinion. But, uh, where I was going with that is like this year I was filming obviously cause I shot one and I was sitting with dad you know, we saw seven bucks in one day. We sat all day, saw seven bucks, and five of those bucks walked the exact same trail. One of them being our shooters um, was probably 70 yards from us, but it was raining, so we were, I wouldn't say forced to be in this enclosed stand, but it makes uh, sitting all day a lot more comfortable in the rain. Uh, do I have a hang-on that's, you know, 40 yards from where they were walking? I do, but who knows? Who's to say we would have killed them in there, but I agree with the aggressive. I love getting aggressive. Um, I will be purchasing a saddle this summer to really get aggressive. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Go in there, screw up, but you know, learn from your mistakes like you guys were saying. And, uh, that's how honestly I've killed a, a decent amount of these, these last two bucks that I've been aggressive. I've moved stands. I put stands where probably people wouldn't put stands because it's right where they live. But, uh, you just got to know when to hunt it and how to hunt it and what the right day is. So get aggressive. Yeah, I agree. And I think the rut is the time to make some of those mistakes too. And maybe bump deer that you otherwise wouldn't, because I think their guard is down more than any time of year during the rut. Um, you know, whereas early season they might, you bump them or, or something and they might really hone in on that. I think during the rut, it's just more kind of goes over their head. They, you know, might run off or whatever, but I don't think they put it in their memory bank and really realize what just happened. I think, you know, a couple minutes pass and they probably forgot all about it. So that's kind of a time when you can afford to, make some of those mistakes and it's probably not going to cost you a, a target buck, you know, permanently vacating your property and going to live on the neighbors. So, yeah. Or you make the mistake and two minutes later, a buck that has no idea what just happened because they were 300 yards away and they covered that much ground in two minutes is now standing there in front of you. you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, All right. Well, I think that's, uh, 
I think that's probably going to do it. That's that's the story of Bullwinkle. So if you haven't seen the video, I highly recommend going and checking that out. Um, it is a, a, a pretty good video with a lot of stuff going on. It's not maybe as boring as we made it sound with the lack of action. Um, you know, there's a, a couple shots fired in there, and you guys did a great job of getting lots of footage um, and really telling the whole story on that. So it is a good video. I would recommend checking it out if you haven't already. Um, and, yeah, that's that's kind of our our take on the rut here. So maybe uh, save this one and tune back in next year to remind yourself about how much the rut sucks um, and know that if you're <laughs> if you're sitting there and you're not seeing anything you're you're not alone because we've had some some struggles during sweet November as well so um, yeah we appreciate you guys tuning in um, as always and we will see you guys next time <laughs>